gospel growth. And um, if you've missed any of the series, then you can catch up on them by going to the website and listening online there. Uh, Last month, we considered the biblical principle of faithfulness. Because God is faithful, he wants his people to be marked by being faithful. And that includes our finances. And if you hear that week, you'll you'll get the illusion behind the uh, ox treading out the corn there. Uh, We thought about that principle, we ought to pay what we owe in every year of our lives, whether that's paying our taxes to the government or simply paying the bills to support uh, and provide for our family. But we also saw the New Testament extends that principle uh, to the support of our spiritual family, uh, to our local church. And that giving to the local church is not seen as an optional extra, as a matter of liberty, uh, whether we support our local church or not, but it's simply seen as a matter of fairness, uh, of our responsibility to support those whose work is gospel ministry in the church where we belong. Now this past month was the first month that the staff team received paychecks from the new legal entity at Charlotte Chapel. And I want to thank the finance team and others who work, have been working very hard to do this transition from one to the other. People have been pulling out the stops and it's been an amazing thing. And uh, as someone who uh, received their paycheck this, 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 this past week, that's terrific. I want to say thank you very much. Uh, it may interest you to know uh, this, this, this next graph. Um, we basically have about 207 uh, households who give on a, a measurable monthly basis. Now, of course, some people give cash through the retirement boxes in a way that's completely anonymous. And uh, I should add that none of the elders know who gives what. But I think this is quite an interesting breakdown of um, how people support the church. The great thing is this is a wide support um, amongst the church. Uh, and yet in a church of about 600, it's interesting to see that it's basically 207 households who are... Uh, maintaining the work of the church and we thank God for the faithfulness of those who give in that way and what we want to say to you as a result of this series is if this is your spiritual home if you're blessed by being part of it and you currently don't give in a regular way well would you prayerfully consider doing so that's the main purpose I guess of uh, the uh, the series even as we've thought too about what God has to say about how we use our money um, you can find details of how to give in this leaflet. It's at the welcome desk if you haven't picked up one in previous uh, ones of the series. Now today I want to kind of move to this last talk um, to move beyond the conversation of faithfulness to another biblical principle of partnership and generosity. And kind of that moves the question on from uh, what must I give to this question, how can I generously support the advance of the gospel. And that's what we're going to consider uh, this morning, what the New Testament has to teach about that topic. We're going to think about these two areas, partnership and generosity. So firstly, partnership. So please turn in the New Testament to the the letter to the Philippians. If you um, would like a Bible, you don't have one in your hands, put your hand up and they'll bring you one. And uh, you can turn to page... um, 1178 in the church Bible. So if you want a Bible, just put your hand up or turn in your Bibles if you already have one or your apps 
to the letter of Philippians. This word partnership is a biblical word, but it comes from the business world. It's a great moment for lawyers or an employee when they, leave, when they have the opportunity to become partners in the business. Uh, they not only work for the company, but they also become one of the owners of the business. They, they share in its obligations and its liabilities, but they also potentially share in its profits. Uh, that's one of the genius's ideas of uh, John Lewis, that every employee becomes a partner. They, they work, and, and if they do well in a year, that every employee is a partner, and they share in the profits of the group. But of course, people don't just uh, work for money. Most people work for a bigger purpose than that, to make sort of a positive difference in the world. I mean, why do people invest in a business like Tesla? Uh, they don't have to. Um, it keeps losing a colossal amount of money, but people keep pouring money into it. Why do they do that? Well, because they're excited about the vision and the purpose of the company. They're excited about a vision of a new future of sustainable energy where you'll have houses with roof tiles that generate electricity, that power your home and power your car so that you can accelerate at ridiculously fast paces while not damaging the environment. There's the, there's the beautiful picture that drives Tesla. Now, we as Christians are engaged in an enterprise that's so much bigger than that. It's not about making money. It's not about building cars or our own empire. It's about sharing the good news of the saving love of Jesus Christ. It's the best news on the planet. Our vision is to see lives transformed through Jesus and his gospel to the glory of God. To make disciples of all nations. And membership in our church is about partnership in this venture together. And we're also involved, not just with believers in this congregation, but we're also involved in a worldwide venture in the spread of the gospel. And to see that, I want us to look at this letter of the Philippians to start off today. If you look at chapter 1 and verse 3, you can see the way that the Apostle Paul starts this letter with great thanksgiving to God. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. That share language is the same word as the partnership language. Paul is praying with great joy about this local church in Philippi. He helped found it and create it, but he's moved on. He himself is elsewhere engaged in the gospel work. And yet he is rejoicing that the church that he's left behind is still giving itself to the work of the gospel where they are. And uh, actually, they, they're experiencing the same sort of hardships that Paul is. Paul is currently in prison 
for sharing the good news of Jesus as he writes this letter. And if you look at chapter 1, verse 29, just over the page, he says to them, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This local church in Philippi, it's having a tough time for the gospel, in the same way that Paul's having a tough time for the gospel. But he rejoices that they're still in the work. They're still engaged in the work of the gospel. The other thing that causes him great joy is they're so passionate about the gospel, they don't know any getting on with it themselves, but they're continuing to support Paul as he goes on spreading the gospel elsewhere. Um, they're so committed to the spread of the gospel that um, when they heard that the Apostle Paul was in prison, they sent one of their very own, Epaphroditus, to encourage Paul with his challenges. So if you look at chapter 2 and uh, verse 25, bottom right-hand corner of page 1179. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Do you see that? They sent Epaphroditus from Philippi to help take care of Paul in prison. Verse 26, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. This was a risky venture for Epaphroditus. It obviously was a, a difficult thing that he undertook. Verse 27, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. In prison, uh, they didn't provide you with food, didn't take care of your needs. If your friends outside the prison didn't do that, uh, you weren't going to, well, you were going to get very thin and it was going to get pretty tough. And one of the great ways that this church showed its practical partnership in the gospel was not only that it sent Epaphroditus to, to, to encourage him and help him, but they sent him with a financial gift to support this work of spreading the gospel. So if you turn to chapter 4 and verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. 
Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, one of the purposes of this letter is, in essence, a thank you letter for their ongoing commitment to finance Paul in his work. Each of their financial gifts was evidence of their faith and their confidence in the gospel. It was a tangible display of their passionate concern to see the gospel advance in the world. And of course, what we do with our money and the things we support and, and what the things we get behind are a very significant indicator of what matters most to us. And Paul was just so thrilled that they were so invested in this gospel partnership with him as he went about preaching the gospel and planting churches. See, their investment in supporting gospel work and gospel workers was actually an act of spiritual worship to the God whose gospel it is. He describes it there as a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. This is God's gospel. And when we align ourselves with what God is doing in the world, God is just delighted that we partner with him, we get behind what he's doing in the world as he uses uh, human servants to preach the gospel and plant churches. Now, gospel partnership takes many forms. It means engaging the work ourselves, uh, reaching out to others, sharing the gospel with others. It means praying for the spread of the gospel. And uh, you received uh, some new onlines today for some fresh pair points so you can pray for gospel partners. I encourage you to take that away. Use that uh, regularly each day as we pray for people. It means supporting uh, uh, friends who are engaged in gospel work when times are tough to encourage them to keep going. But it also does include our financial support to enable them to keep doing the work of proclaiming and spreading the gospel. And this is something that glorifies God. This is to the praise of his glory. And you know what? That's still what we're about here at Charlotte Chapel. Uh, we've read Paul's passion in the first century. By God's grace, we're still here today in the 21st century, and we're seeking to be about exactly the same things. Uh, we're excited about... Um, sharing the good news of the saving love of Jesus. We're so thrilled to see and hear of how lives are transformed by Jesus and his gospel to God's glory. That's what we're about. And uh, we're seeking to do it um, not only through our congregation, but we're seeking to see it advance in this city, uh, in this nation, and throughout the world. And, and we're involved in, in every level of that. Uh, we're investing in the training of new gospel workers here uh, as we have our ministry apprenticeship program. Um, Ashley will be joining us in September to do that. Through our pastors in training program as we help people get trained and uh, send them out to uh, either plant churches or to, to revitalize churches or strengthen existing churches. 
And as a church, we're invested in, in giving to other congregations. Uh, this church has played a critical role in, in seeing Nidri Community Church established. And it's so thrilling to see the vision of, of, of that church and the 20 Schemes Venture and how they're taking that on. Over the past four years, we've, we've helped to see a church planted in Gracemount in this city. Uh, we've been committed to help support half the salary of Martin Smith, who was one of our pastors in training, to be able to go to the, to the borders and to Hoyk Baptist Church so for the two years he could be an assistant and then become the lead pastor of that church, which is a, a smaller church. Robin Turton will be joining him soon from our membership. And so we're investing not just here, but in, 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 in sending our money to other churches to help them grow. And we're also investing in mission partners uh, overseas. And uh, get the online today. You can pray about it. You can discover all the ways that we're partnering with others. And uh, to just name but a few, in Bible translation projects around the world, in the training of gospel workers in northern India, in theological education, supporting work in Romania, in South America, in Europe, in Southeast Asia. There's lots of different ways that we as a church are partnering with others uh, through our care, our prayer, our financial support to see the gospel advance. Because we're excited about what God does in people's lives through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's gospel partnership. And currently, our uh, church budget is used to invest in all those areas. By the way, some of this financial support has been possible because of two women, Sheila Maston and Greta Arthur, who left significant financial legacies in their will so that beyond their death, they would see the spreading work of the gospel. And can I cheerfully suggest to some of our older members uh, that it would be a great blessing. Uh, now is the time to think about your wills. It's too late when it's happened, isn't it? Now is a great time to think about whether you want to um, give some of your estate to the work of Charlotte Chapel so that actually we can continue to invest in the spread of the gospel beyond your death. How thrilling that it can do that. Don't waste it on cat and dog charities. They have enough money. They don't have eternal souls, cats and dogs. They may be some of the new heavens, but I don't think they'll be the ones that were here, right? No, don't waste it. And if you don't know what to do about that, have a chat with Trevor Braley. He'll help you think about what needs to go into your will to do that. It's a significant way. Second principle Partnership, number one. Secondly, generosity. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, page 1163. One of the, uh, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 8. One of the Apostle Paul's projects uh, was to encourage the churches that he helped plant to pull some of their resources to support the church in Jerusalem where there was considerable hardship through both famine and opposition. And as we think about this chapter, I suppose the area of giving that this probably more links with is when we give our money to support groups like Tear Fund and Samaritan's Purse that seek to invest in the relief of the poor and when it's linked to uh, local churches. The church in Corinth uh, was a church with lots of resources 
and had originally said that they were really keen to give to this project, but then here's the awkward bit. They didn't seem to have followed through. And this was a slightly embarrassing thing to raise, but the Apostle Paul was so committed to the project that he raised it with them, and he spurs them uh, to follow through on their initial um, promises with two great examples of generosity. Firstly, the example of the churches in Macedonia, which includes the church of Philippi that we just looked at. And secondly, and more significantly, in the generosity of Jesus Christ. So let's look at chapter 8, verse 1. I'm just going to make some brief comments on these verses. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. It's a striking example, isn't it? The people in Philippi and other churches there, what was their situation? Paul describes it as extreme poverty. And they were going through really hard times themselves. And yet here they are, and this is the irony of ironies, they're begging for the opportunity to give. Now, you'll walk along the street and they're normally begging to get money from you. These guys are begging for the opportunity to give. Because they want to show their partnership and their love and their care for these Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who are going through an even worse time. And what stirred such generosity? Well, verse 1, it was the grace of God. The grace of God had gripped their hearts. As Paul says, they wanted to give their whole selves to the Lord. The grace of God so gripped their hearts, they said, Lord, we want to give you everything that we have, all that we are. And they, they just begged for this opportunity to, to give to the relief of the poor in Jerusalem, to show their commitment of their love to God by loving other believers elsewhere. And so Paul goes on in verse 6. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. What a beautiful phrase that is. This grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He turns the knife a bit there, doesn't he? Do you think? There's a little bit of godly competitiveness going on there, isn't it? Some of us are quite competitive, and I think he stirs their competitive juices uh, in uh, Corinth. He says, now, you know, you know the, the guys in Philippi? You've heard what they've done? Um, now, I know, I know you, this is if Paul says, I, I know you say you love God, but... Um, It'd be great if you showed it. It'd be great, you know, words are fabulous. Actions are what really show love. And actually, uh, giving of our money is a very powerful way of showing our 
commitment to God and commitment to love people and active love. But notice it is not guilt or gaining glory for ourselves. You know, sometimes people raise funds that way. You know, um, uh, you know, your name can be a donor on a wall and you can go higher up the wall depending on how much you give. That, that's how often the world motivates giving, you know. Make a great name for yourself of being a fantastic philanthropist. But that's not how Paul motivates them here. What, what's going to motivate this sort of generosity? Well, look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake... He became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. See, this is what grips the heart of someone who's a genuine Christian. They can't get over the amazing generosity that God has shown us by sending his one and only son into the world to be our savior. That he would leave the riches of eternal love and relationship within God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that he would humble himself, taking on human flesh. That he would come, not to a palace, but to a poor working family that ended up in Nazareth, of all places, the back of beyond. That he'd become a carpenter, that he'd become someone who effectively was homeless. Someone despised, someone rejected, somebody mocked and beaten and scourged and crucified to willingly substitute himself with sinners on the cross to be punished in our place so that all who trust him even though we are in such moral deficit in such poverty before God that we might become rich before God as we grab hold this amazing gift of grace, this amazing gift of salvation that he has brought us. Our sins forgiven. No more guilt or shame. The promise of eternal life, the guarantee of belonging to this eternal kingdom that is yet to come where there will be no more sickness or, or, or sadness. And it is this amazing grace that just grips the heart of the Christian. It reorientates our whole life, including our finances. A few of us are involved with a, a Bible study on Wednesday night for uh, just for starters, just looking at the basics. And I asked a few people, what has it meant for them to become a Christian? What, what's it changed? And I asked a few, few people, and basically, you know, they've become Christians in the last year or so. Uh, what's changed? And the answer is, everything has changed. Everything has changed. The gospel of God's grace reorientates our whole lives, including our finances. We often sing this wonderful hymn, don't we? When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory dies, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, imagine that, owning the whole lot, that would be an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. We don't give because we think that buys us salvation. It doesn't buy us a debenture seat in heaven. 
It's already bought. It's all of grace. It's been paid for. God's kind generosity has covered it all. And God expects us to be good stewards. We, we thought about that early in the series, to be uh, prudent with what we, what we have. And yet, as we look at what we have, uh, we, we move beyond merely faithfulness to pay the bills that must be paid. But so thrilled with the gospel, we'll want to be partners in generosity. Like a guy who's excited to invest in his business because it'll grow bigger and bigger. We're thinking, how can we invest in this gospel venture? In the cause of Christ. So it's going to get bigger and bigger and more lives will be changed by Jesus. It's to begin to think like gospel entrepreneurs. We get this privilege of partnering with him in his great work. Look at verse 6 of chapter 9. Look, turn over the page, chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. What these verses are telling us is not give to God and you're going to get rich that's not what it says. It says, give to God's work, and God's going to bless you, so you'll be able to give even more. That's what these verses say. Uh, the righteous person, the person whose life's been transformed by Jesus, is one that's marked by generosity of giving. And as you keep giving, God will keep supplying you so that you can keep giving. Have you not found this to be the case? You decide to give over and above. You gave to something and you felt kind of good about the fact you managed to let your hands off that money. And then within a few weeks, out of the blue, money appears, comes back to you. Because God is very generous. He, as we give, he keeps supplying our needs and gives us grace to keep giving. That's why we can be cheerful givers as we engage in this work. Now our series is over. What a privilege to share in this gospel partnership, to be able to share in this gospel work. Um, what is it we'd love to keep doing as a church? Well, our vision really is to see lives transformed through Jesus uh, and his gospel to God's glory. We'd love to make disciples of all nations. That's what we're engaged in. We'd love to grow at the center keep growing here. We'd love to keep training everybody and training gospel workers so that we can plant more churches in this city, in this nation, and throughout this world. And each month, this is what it costs us to be engaged in this work as a church. 
This is covering both uh, the costs in-house and the money that we give away, a third of the money that we give away to other gospel ventures. And if you're a Christian, I simply want to encourage you to get in on this privilege of partnership, this grace of giving, to be engaged in this work of God of seeing the gospel proclaimed and transforming lives. And as I said, there's info on how you can do that practically. You can get this leaflet on the welcome desk on the way out. And, uh, and to remind those who already are giving, we thank God for you. If you've not filled out one of these forms recently in terms of the gift aid, if you do that, not only will we get 20% back, we'll get 25%. Uh, so actually, it's really worth it. Uh, it, it. It adds another 25% to your gift if you do that. So, let's pray.